0: you're listening to Ethical Witness Preparation, a powerful witness preparation podcast miniseries from Holland and Knight attorney Dan Small. Dan is an experienced litigation attorney who has written books, published articles, and given talks around the United States on the ins and outs of witness preparation. In this five-part series, he addresses the main ethical issues that arise during witness preparation and explains how lawyers can successfully navigate these issues while setting their witnesses up for success.
1: One key extension of any discussion on the ethics of witness preparation is ethical conduct during a deposition in the heat of battle. Lawyers must understand the rules governing conduct, consider how best to work within them, and explain it all clearly to the witness. Not easy tasks under the best of circumstances, much less in an adversarial deposition. Sometimes the impropriety is clear for all to see. There are plenty of videos floating around the Internet of outrageous conduct in depositions. One of the best known is from a Texas deposition involving attorneys Joe Jamile, representing the plaintiffs, and Edward Karsarfin, defense counsel for Monsanto Company. The whole exchange is too long and frankly too embarrassing to quote here, but I think one small sample will do. Jamile says, You don't run this deposition, you understand? Karsarfin replies, Neither do you, Joe. Jemile says you watch and see you watch and see who does big boy and don't be telling other lawyers to shut up this isn't your job fat boy kustarfin well it's not your job either mr hairpiece jamyle's shameful conduct helped lead to changes in the texas rules dubbed the Jemile rule after the famous video to severely limit lawyer conduct in depositions beyond the extremes There are three areas that raise the most common conduct issues. One, speaking objections. Two, instructions not to answer. And three, conferences with counsel. Let's take a quick look at each one. Speaking objections. In most depositions, substantive and evidentiary objections are reserved for trial. This means that with few exceptions, what remains are form objections. Some states have rules prohibiting objections or statements that seem to coach instruct, or suggest an answer to the witness. This bright line can get blurred because in many jurisdictions, lawyers who object to form are allowed to give a basis for their objection. One of the best reviews of common speaking objections comes from U.S. Magistrate Judge Gale in Cincinnati Insurance v. Serrano. Judge Gale highlighted the following objections. One, vague. This is usually, quote, a speaking objection disguised as a form objection. Only the witness knows whether she understands the question, and the witness has a duty to request clarification if needed. Another court imposed sanctions for counsel's repeated statement, quote, I don't think she understands what you mean. Next, if you know. Judge Gale explained that various versions of this were, quote, raw, unmitigated coaching. The witness has already taken an oath to tell the truth. If they don't know, they should say so. Next, speculation. Speculation is, quote, a foundation objection, not a form objection, and it tends to coach the witness to respond that they don't know the answer. Finally, quote, suggestive. This is also an improper speaking objection, according to Judge Gale. Its only purpose can be to warn the witness not to agree. Number two, instructions not to answer. While we can debate the definition and impact of speaking objections, the impact of an instruction not to answer is much more direct. Telling a witness not to answer can be even more disruptive than objections themselves. As a result, the rules are strict. Under the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, a person may instruct a deponent not to answer only when necessary to preserve a privilege, to enforce a limitation ordered by the court or to present a motion under Rule thirty d three. Number three, Conferences with Counsel. Courts have struggled with limitations on and abuses of conferences with counsel. On one end of the spectrum, a court found that a rule prohibiting a civil litigant to consult with their attorney during breaks and recesses would infringe on their constitutional right to counsel. However, there's no doubt that such a right can be abused. One of the most frequently cited cases on this issue, Hall v. Clifton, held that a deposition is meant to be a question and answer conversation between the deposing lawyer and the witness, meaning there was no absolute right to conferences during the deposition. Some courts have adopted the guidelines from Hall, while others said they went too far. Conferences, while a question is pending, are universally prohibited unless they're conducted to protect the privilege. Otherwise, courts must balance competing considerations. For example, one court found prohibiting conferences during breaks was appropriate during the actual deposition, but did not extend to a ban over a multi-day deposition. Because of the varying rules governing attorney conduct during depositions, every practitioner must understand the rules in the specific jurisdiction they're in and explain them to the witness. These rules will help both the witness and the lawyer to anticipate problems that may arise during the deposition, and prepare accordingly. They will also protect the lawyer from court sanctions and the legal system from a stain on its integrity. More than 60 years ago, one court recognized that, quote, it is usual and legitimate practice for ethical and diligent counsel to confer with a witness whom he is about to call prior to his giving testimony. However, recognizing the importance of witness preparation, also means appreciating its challenges.
0: Thank you for listening to Ethical Witness Preparation, a podcast series brought to you by Holland and Knight attorney Dan Small. To learn about Dan and his practice, please visit hklaw.com forward slash Daniel dash small.